awesome. Well, thanks, Steve. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to you dads, uh, especially to you dads, only to you dads. Uh, happy Father's Day to you guys. Glad you're able to be with us this morning. Hope that you guys get a chance to enjoy your families together and uh, get some sun. Hope you dads get to eat a lot of hamburgers and enter into a food-induced coma. That's what I hope to do today. And so it'll be fantastic. So happy Father's Day. Guys, it's good to have you. As Steve was mentioning earlier, next week we're actually starting a new series that's called Me and Jesus' Words. And if you guys are with us this past week, we did a series called Jesus and His Own Words. Those two series are designed to sort of interface with each other. And so we're really excited about next week jumping into that. I want to invite everyone to come out. Maybe invite a friend or a neighbor. It's a good place to get connected. A new series is always a great opportunity uh, as an on-ramp for someone to get connected to our church. Uh, but this week, we're going to do something a little bit special uh, because we sort of saw a unique opportunity. We knew that one series was ending and another series was starting. And we said, hey, you know, since it's Father's Day, what if we just paused on Father's Day on Sunday and really just, just took some time on a Sunday to both celebrate fathers and to speak to fathers, just kind of explaining the importance uh, of, of the role of fathers, celebrating it, and then hopefully giving some, just some practical advice to dads who are in the room. So that's what we want to do today. We want to talk a little bit to dads and uh, really want to celebrate dads uh, as we look at Father's Day. I'll just tell you at Grace Church, at all of our campuses, and especially here at the Medina East Campus, we, we very much love and respect and value dads. And I'm not just saying that because it's Father's Day. Uh, I, I really mean that. We have a very, very high view of the role of father, and a lot of that is generated not only out of our cultural experience, but it's also out of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the role of a father, um, both in his household and in his community, is, uh, is really just an incredibly heavy responsibility. Uh, the Bible says that really the culture of a household and really the, the culture of a society can be transformed by the investment that fathers make in their children. So for example, the Bible actually says that the sins of a father are uh, visited upon the third and fourth generation. And what that means is basically this. It means that dads, the way that we choose to invest in our kids, whether it be for good or for evil, the, the way that we pass things down to our kids will affect the next generation. And they, in turn, will pass it down to the next generation, the next generation. The Bible really says that fathers, that as they instill principles and as they invest in their children, that they, they have the opportunity to either shape the, the next generation, to shape the culture for good, or to shape it for bad. And so the Bible puts a lot, a lot, a lot of responsibility on dads. And so it's because of that that we have a high respect and uh, a, high, uh, a high value, we place a high value on dads. And one of the things that we think would make a great church, one of the things that we think makes a great family and makes a great society is dads who are fully engaged, dads who do a good job of investing in their kids and imparting to their children wisdom. And so because of that, just want to say, if you're, if you're a dad in this room, man, we love you, we respect you, uh, we view your job and your role as a high calling from God that God has placed on you, and so we respect that. But we also realize, I don't know if you're like me, but as a dad, when I think about that, when I read my Bible about the role and the responsibility of a father, it scares me, quite frankly. Uh, it frightens me to think that I, I have the opportunity to raise this next generation, my children, but I can really screw them up, right? And, uh, and so that's a heavy responsibility. And so because of that, like I said, dads, we respect you, but the, the good news is this. Okay? The good news is that God has not left us alone. 
So he's given us this great responsibility of fathering, but he's not left us in the dark. God has given us a lot of tools and a lot of resources to equip us to be great dads. And, and a few of those tools that he's given us, of course, the Bible is one, right? The Bible has such incredible wisdom about how to exercise good parenting, about how to be a good dad. Of course, God has given us his example. The Bible says that God is a heavenly father, that he's a perfect heavenly father. And that if we look to him, that we can get cues on what it means to be a good dad. I think one of the greatest resources that God has given to dads, though, is, is actually sort of like a manual that he's provided in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's actually a book in the Bible that is written by a father to his son. And this book really kind of serves as a manual or as an instruction book in how dads are to invest in their kids. And I'm just telling you, as a father, I appreciate that, right? Because when I got my kids, I was first like, do these guys come with a manual? Because I have no idea what to do. And what I love is that God has really truly provided something like that for us. So the book that I'm referring to, of course, in the Old Testament is the book of Proverbs, right? The book of Proverbs is the book that's written from the father to his son. And so, in fact, this morning, that's what I kind of want to look at today, is I want to look at the book of Proverbs. And so if you guys have your Bibles, if you would take them with me, we're going to go to the book of Proverbs, and specifically, we're going to land in chapter 9 um, this morning. Chapter 9, Proverbs chapter 9. You're going to find that, by the way, on page 443. Proverbs chapter 9, page 443. And if you did not bring a Bible with you, you can just grab one of those black Bibles, and, uh, and you can turn there. Let me just say, if you're a guest with us this morning, you don't own a Bible outright if you just don't have one. Or if you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, uh, just do us a favor. Grab one of ours. Write your name in it. Make it a gift from us to you. Happy Father's Day. You can have that. Proverbs chapter 9, page 443. Now, as you guys are flipping there, again, let me just give you some context of what we're about to see in the book of Proverbs. So, like I said, the book of Proverbs is a book that was written from a father to a son. The author of the book of Proverbs was a guy named Solomon. And uh, as many of you know, Solomon was notorious for being the wisest man on earth. Uh, he was a king over Israel, a very, very, very successful king over Israel. And he wrote a few books of the Bible. One of the books that he wrote was the book of Proverbs. And really what the book of Proverbs is, is it's Solomon imparting wisdom to his son. The whole letter is addressed to his son. It's kind of like a letter from a father to his son is what the book of Proverbs is really all about. And the book of Proverbs, what it is, is it's really a compilation of a bunch of proverbs. If you don't know what a proverb is, a proverb is basically a short, concise statement that's put in memorable ways. So either it's, it's poetic or it rhymes, but basically it's, it's Solomon writing to his son with a series of these proverbs, of these quotes that are filled with wisdom. Now the reason that proverbs were written in a very short, concise, memorable way is because they were intended to be tools for parents to use, to help train their kids. They were intended for parents to use to help their kids remember basic truths of wisdom, right? And so, like I said, what we have here, I believe that the reason that God's really preserved this book for us, the reason we have the book of Proverbs, is really to give us practical insight, and especially for dads. It's an instruction book, it's a manual for fathers and how to be a good dad and, and what kind of principles we need to instill into our children. So it's really phenomenal that way. So here's what, here's what I want to do today, okay? What I want to do today is I really kind of want to sum up what is sort of the basic teaching of the book of Proverbs, kind of the cliff notes. I know the, the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters, so there's no way that we're going to preach a sermon on all 31 chapters. I love you too much to do that to you. And so I thought what we'll do is we'll, I'll just give you kind of the condensed version of what is the major heartbeat behind the book of Proverbs and what's there for us. Specifically what I want to do today is I actually want to speak with dads. Okay, so if you're a dad, today is specifically for you. And my hope is that this will become for us kind of tips on fathering from a father. So this is Solomon, 
the wisest man on earth, wrote a book of the Bible. He's writing this letter to his son. It's been preserved for us. And I want us to kind of look at the book of Proverbs as tips from a dad, tips on fathering from a dad. So I want to speak specifically to dads. Now, if you're not a dad, right, today is equally for you as well because uh, the book of Proverbs is for everybody. God has provided it for each one of us. The Bible says that God is our, perfectly, our perfect heavenly father. Because he's our perfect heavenly father, the things that we see in the book of Proverbs are things that he wants for all of us. Okay? So that's what we're going to see in the book of Proverbs. Now, before I sum up for us what the major heartbeat or the essence of the book of Proverbs is, let me just start by saying that I know that there are some of you who are dads that are, I know already what you're thinking. That's what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, great. Just what I wanted for Father's Day, a guilt trip, right? And you're going to take me to the book of Proverbs, and you're going to show me stuff, what I'm doing wrong, and my, my wife's going to roll her eyes and nudge me, and my kids are going to, you know, I don't know, do something, flick me off. <laughs> they're going you know, to do something, and, it's, and I'm going to walk out of here feeling terrible. So thanks a lot, man. Happy Father's Day to me. Okay? And let me just say, first and foremost, that it's not our intention today. All right? In fact, let me start by saying this about fathers. I think the number one thing that fathers need, all of us who are dads in this room, is grace. I think it's the first thing we need on Father's Day and every day. Right? The truth is, and I can just speak from my own experience, I'm imperfect. I don't get it right. I mess up a lot. And I can just say, as a dad, the first thing I need is the grace of God and is the grace of others. You think about it, fathers, we have a really, really high responsibility. And if you think about the standard that the Bible gives for us, it's unbelievably high, especially for those of us who are Christ followers. The standard is ridiculously high. So if you're a husband, according to the Bible, who are we to compare ourselves to in the Bible? Uh, Jesus. Like, good luck on that one, right? Or if you're a father, who are we to compare ourselves according to the Bible? Um, God the Father. I'm like, talk about breaking the curve. Like, there's no way we're ever going to reach that standard. So, guys, we, have, we need grace because we're not going to do this perfectly. But not only do we need grace, we also need instruction. We need help. We need someone to help us as we try to navigate fathering. And I believe that's why God has provided the book of Proverbs. It's intended to help us to be tips on fathering from a father, a wise father. And we see that here in the book of Proverbs. Now, if you, can, if you can really kind of boil it down and you can summarize the book of Proverbs in one word, you can do that. And the, and the whole theme of the book of Proverbs, summarized in one word, is the word wisdom. That's it, wisdom. Wisdom is the theme in the book of Proverbs. That term, wisdom, appears in some form or another over 120 times in 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. You see Solomon saying, son, be wise, make wise choices, pursue wisdom, go after wisdom, get wisdom. You get it, right? You read Proverbs and you see wisdom is the major theme. That's the big idea in the book of Proverbs. And so here's Solomon, right, the wisest man on earth. He's writing an, inst he's writing an instruction manual for those of us who are fathers on what good parenting is. And he says, really, fathers, the, if you could really boil it down in one word, what it's all about, he says it's teach your kids wisdom. That's what it is, wisdom. Wisdom is the most important thing. Now, if that's the case, I think it probably does us well to maybe define it a little bit then. And so there's really two questions I want to deal with with the rest of our time, and it's just quite simply this. What is wisdom? Like, what is it, right? Like, give me a definition, because we talk about wisdom a lot in our culture. What is it? And then lastly, I want to talk about how do you get it. So what is wisdom, and how do you get it? Well, what is it? Well, it's really interesting. I've been reading through the book of Proverbs for the past few weeks. I've been trying to find a good definition. There's a lot of good definitions out there on wisdom. So for example, dictionary.com defines wisdom this way. It says, that, uh, it says that wisdom is the quality or the state of being wise. It's knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action, 
sagacity, which I don't even know what that word means. You know it's bad when you look up a word and then have to look up the definition of the word. Sagacity, discernment, or insight. So, um, so that's a definition of wisdom. So I looked up a bunch of definitions of wisdom. Quite frankly, I don't think I'm really that smart because I still didn't understand what it meant. And, uh, and so I thought, all right, you know what? I can't find a good definition of wisdom, so I'm just going to make one up. And so I went through um, the book of Proverbs. I was trying to kind of condense it down. What is sort of the essence? What is sort of the bare minimum of what wisdom is? And so I came up with this definition. It's the greatest definition I could think of. If you have a better one, I'm totally open to hearing it. But this is my definition of wisdom. I would say, according to the book of Proverbs, wisdom, in a nutshell, is the now me looking out for the later me. Okay, wisdom is the now me looking out for the later me. Now, that might sound a little confusing, so let me explain how I got there, okay? So this, this concept of the now me and the later me is, is, is birthed out of a, a concept that arose when I was a freshman in college. So when I was a freshman in college, um, some of you know if you've been coming for a while, I went to school in downtown Chicago, and, uh, and so you can, you can imagine, as a freshman um, from Ohio, going to Chicago, downtown Chicago, as an 18-year-old with more freedom than I could ever imagine, um, college was a riot. It was an absolute blast. One thing was for certain when I was in school is I was never short on opportunities to do things that would distract me from studying. I mean, I had plenty of opportunities. There's always something going on. There was always something crazy going on. There was always some activity that was deterring me from, from uh, studying and those type of things. But the, the problem was this, though. Here's where the problem was, and I'm sure this is the problem that every college student faces. The problem was that when I got to college, I had no idea how academically rigorous it was going to be. I was not prepared. And I'll be honest with you, my first year, I struggled like crazy when I got to school. I realized I'm gonna have to study harder than I ever had before. I'm gonna have to work harder than I ever had before. Of course, I worked on top of that at a job. I was like, so I have to make some pretty big decisions about my study time, about my work habits. I need to be more disciplined than I've ever been. Well, here's where the tension came. And like I said, this is the tension every college student faces. Every time I would try to sit down and study or try to do the things I knew I needed to do, I would be presented with this incredibly fun opportunity. Right? And so I'd be studying or whatever, and, and a group of people would come by and be like, hey, we're all going to go down to the beach, you know, in Lake Michigan and play football. You want to come? And I'd be like, yes, I do. And I'd push my stuff to the side, and, you know, and then the next day I'm like, okay, I got to do this. I got to start studying again. And it's like some, a group of people would come, hey, you know, group of us are going to go rollerblading around the city. You want to come? Yes, I do. I'd push my stuff to the side. And we'd go, the next day I'd try to study again, a group would come up, they'd be like, hey, they're filming a movie down on Michigan Avenue, you want to go see if we can meet someone famous? Yes, I do, you know, and I'd push my stuff to the side. And, and so this, this, this problem happened so often that, that, that I started to realize that within me, there were two versions of myself. There were two parts of myself that I began to realize, and I named them the now me and the later me. And I referred to them as the now me and the later me. Now, the, the now me, as you can imagine, the now me was the guy who was responsible for making the decision of whether we study or goof off. That was the now me, okay? The later me was the guy who either would reap the rewards or suffer the consequences of the decisions of now me, all right? Now, here's what I learned when I was in college, especially my freshman year. These guys hated each other. I mean, they hated each other. They argued, they fought, they didn't get along. Now me thought that later me was a dork. He thought that later me was no fun. He thought that later me was, was you know, just, just ridiculous. And then later me thought that now me was impulsive, 
thought that Naomi was irresponsible, thought that Naomi was inconsiderate, right? The only thing they agreed on was that we were attractive. That's it. <laughs> Outside of that, we disagreed about everything. And we argued all the time, Naomi and later me. And I remember, I remember my freshman year, there was times when I thought, okay, Naomi, we have to think about later me. We have to do this. And so I would, I would really try. I would attempt. And most of my attempts were in vain, right? But I remember, like, this is, it would go something like this. I would be like, okay, later me has a test tomorrow, right? A big test, a significant test. So now me, you have to think about later me. So you need to study. You can't go out and play. You got, you got to study. And then you got to get in bed by 11 because you need good sleep so you can get up tomorrow and you can do well on your tests and go to work and be a responsible human being, be a big boy now, right? And so I'd be like, okay, now me, think of later me. And here's what would happen. I would study it. I'd be like, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. And then I'd get in bed and it'd be 11, right? I'd be laying in my bed. This is how I lay in my bed, by the way. I'd be laying in my bed. I'd be like, look at me. I'm a good student. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I lived in an all-guys dorm, all right, which is basically equivalent to living in a zoo. So I'm in an all-guys dorm, and I'd be in bed at 11, and invariably, here's what would happen. I would hear a noise in the hall, right? And it would either be a group of guys laughing or a, like a big thud which always meant something awesome was happening, right? <laughs> or the most enticing of them all, I would hear a group of guys just go, oh! And if you heard that, it's like, game over. I'm done, you know? And so what happened when I heard those noises in the hall is now me and later me would start fighting with each other, right? And later me would be like, dude, go to bed. We have a test tomorrow, we think about it, we gotta get up. And now me, every time, would be like, shut up, later me. Forget you. I'm going. And I would go on the hallway, and of course, every single time and when I went out there, there was always something amazingly fun but absolutely pointless happening, right? Like duct taping someone to the ceiling, or one time they made a slip and slide all the way down the hallway. One time, I'm not even joking, we were taking turns. We had these big commercial dryers. We were taking turns riding in the dryer to see who could last the longest with high heat on. Now, was that pointless? Yes. Was it fun? Yes, and, and now I would indulge until about 3 o'clock in the morning, and then I'd go to bed, and I'd wake up, and later me would hate me. What were you thinking last night? It was terrible. It was awful. So, so what, what is wisdom according to the Bible? I think that what we see in Proverbs, as we go through the book of Proverbs, and I'll show you this, I think wisdom is now me looking out for later me. Now me and later me in the world of wisdom, those two versions of you shouldn't hate each other. They should love each other. They should be friends with each other. They should care about each other. That's really the essence of what wisdom is. Because what I found when I was in college, and I'm sure what you guys find as well in life, is that at any given point in time, in any given circumstance, there's always two voices that are calling out to me. At any given time, there's two voices that are crying out to me. And here's the crazy thing. In the book of Proverbs, that's exactly what Solomon says to his son. He says, son, at any given time, there's always going to be two voices crying out to you. And in the, book of, uh, in the book of Proverbs, especially in chapter 9, which we're about to look at here, he depicts those two voices as wisdom and folly. And what we're about to see is he speaks in very poetic terms, right? So he's speaking very poetically. And he's going to depict wisdom, we're going to see, as an elegant woman. So wisdom is an elegant woman. So here's what he says, okay? He says, wisdom has built her house, and she has set up seven pillars, she has prepared her meat, and she has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come and eat my food and drink my wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live and walk 
in the way of insight. So, so check this out, this is so cool. Solomon says, son, there's a voice crying out to you. The voice of wisdom cries out. And he says, and she's this elegant woman and she's built this house and she set her table. He says she has fine wine at this table, delicious wine. He says that she's prepared meat for you, most likely bacon, right? He's like, she's prepared some bacon, she's got some wine, and she cries out to you, and she says, leave your ignorant ways. Come to me, and you will enjoy the rewards of wisdom. Come, follow me, and I will lead you to good places. And so he's speaking poetically, but he says, son, at any given time, wisdom is crying out to you. But he says, but son, there's another voice crying out too. He says, and that's the voice of folly. And look at this, look at verse 13. He says, folly is an unruly woman. Some of you have translations that says, folly is a boisterous woman or a loud woman, right? So she's this loud, boisterous, unruly woman. Think Miley Cyrus, okay? And so you got Miley Cyrus over here, and she's simple, and she knows nothing. Sorry, Miley, I didn't mean to throw in the bus. Um, she sits at the door of her house, swinging on a wrecking ball. No, I'm just kidding. She, <laughs> Wish the filter would have caught that. I didn't catch it. <laughs> she sits in the middle of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. She's crying out too. She says to those who have no sense, stolen water is sweet, she says. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. It's amazing. I love the, I love the poetic imagery that he's telling his son. He says, son, any given circumstance, any different area of your life, there's always two voices crying out to you. It says one is the voice of wisdom, and wisdom says if you make decisions now, it will lead the future you to a place of goodness. You, you'll be in a place where you will enjoy the reward. He depicts it as, as a meal. You're going to be eating bacon and drinking wine. It's going to be awesome if you make wise decisions. But if you make foolish decisions, and notice the woman of folly, uh, what, what her appeal is. She cries out and she says, Wine, uh, stolen wine tastes better. And, and she says, food eaten in secret, basically stolen food is better. And what is she appealing to? Basically what she's saying is this. She's saying, listen, do what you want now. Take what you want now and ignore the consequences for later. But where does this lead? Well, he says, little do you know that this is where the, death, where the dead are at. This is where people are enslaved. These are the decisions that will lead you to bad places. And so Solomon says to his son, son, you need to discern between those two voices. The voice of wisdom is always crying out, and the voice of folly is always crying out, and both of them are constantly appealing to you. Now listen, here's the cool thing about the book of Proverbs. Right? The book of Proverbs is basically teaching parents, and specifically fathers, okay, for those of us who are dads, that one of our central roles as a dad is to train our children, is to teach our children, is to model for our children how to discern between those two voices. How to discern in any and every situation between the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly. To teach our kids how to understand how the now me can serve the later me. To walk them through that. Now notice I said that it's to teach, model, and, to, and help discern. It's not to make wise decisions for your children. Okay? Of course we want to make wise decisions as parents, but the truth is that good parenting isn't simply making wise decisions for your kids. It's helping your kids gain wisdom. It's helping them understand themselves how to make wise choices and how to discern between the two voices of folly and the voices of wisdom, right? 
So for, it's for this reason that in the, in the book of Proverbs then, that Solomon then goes on after kind of helping us understand that this is what the heartbeat of wisdom is. Wisdom is, is the now me serving the later me. It's the now me befriending the later me. What Solomon then does is he takes this principle of wisdom all throughout the book of Proverbs, and I wish we had time, but we don't. This could be a whole series. In fact, it might be one day. Is he goes through and he takes this idea of wisdom and he applies it to every practical situation imaginable. So he says, son, as it relates to work, at work, he's like, let's apply wisdom. How can the now me look out for the later me at work? He says, son, I want you to work hard, and I want you to work with integrity. He says, because if you're lazy now, you'll pay later. But if you work now, you'll reap the rewards of your hard work later. He says, I want you to work with integrity. Okay? If you cut corners now, you're going to constantly live in fear that you're going to get found out. He says, but if you work with integrity today, you will walk securely as a result of that integrity. He takes this idea of wisdom, he applies it to temptation. I love in the book of Proverbs how honest he is with his son uh, in, in the book of Proverbs. He tells his son, son, you're going to be tempted by a lot of things in life. He's like, there's sexual temptation. He says, when you get married, there's going to be temptation to cheat on your wife. He talks about how there's temptation as it relates to addictions. He talks about temptations with greed and with money and all those things. And I love what he says to his son. He says, okay, son, let's take this idea of wisdom the me, the, the, the me now, looking out for the me later, let's apply that to temptation. And basically he says to his son, it's so brilliant, he says, son, the best time for you to fight temptation is before you're even tempted. So he says, there, there's a house down the street where the adulterous woman lives. He says, don't even go down her street. Stay away from there altogether. Protect yourself. The now me needs to be thinking of the future me. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're susceptible to fall and you're susceptible to fail. He talks about money. And he talks about how you can apply wisdom in the financial realm. He talks about choosing your friends. And he says, son, let's talk about your friends for a minute. Think about the future me. He says, if you choose wise, wise friends, then you yourself will be wise. But if you choose foolish friends, then you'll suffer ignorance, is what he tells them. He says, you're constantly going to be frustrated, and you yourself are going to become a fool as well. So the entire book of Proverbs is a dad basically instructing his son, teaching him, here's how you pursue wisdom. Here's what it means to discern the voice of wisdom. And, and, and I'm just, just telling you, it's awesome. The book of Proverbs is awesome. But if you can boil it down, what the entire book of Proverbs is teaching is wisdom. It's the now me looking out for the future me, considering that. So that's what it is. What is wisdom? That's my definition. It's the now me looking out for the later me, right? But, but here's the bigger question. So how do you get it? How do you get wisdom? How do you obtain it? Right? It's obviously a very important thing. So how do you obtain wisdom? Well, once again, I'm so thankful because the Bible has not left us in the dark. And the Bible tells us how we get wisdom. In fact, Solomon who is notoriously known to be the wisest man on earth, tells us the secret of true wisdom. In fact, he says it in many different places, but I'll just show you a couple. Look at verse 10 in chapter 9. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He says, the beginning point of wisdom, you want, you want to obtain wisdom? He says, here's where it starts. The beginning point of wisdom, the starting point, is fearing God. To fear God. Now, some of you are like, what does that mean to fear God? Does that mean like I'm scared of God? Kind of like I'm scared of spiders. Is that what that is? Is that what that means? Um, you're like, does it mean reverence? Does it mean respect? Is that what it means? Does it mean that I'm like terrified of God or that I respect God? Like, what does that mean? And I would argue this. I think it's, I think it's all of the above. I think to fear God, it's not a phobia, but I think what it means is really this. It means that I respect God, I revere God, but I'm also scared of God a little bit. Because the Bible depicts God as our loving Father. The Bible depicts God as, uh, as the greatest 
being that there is, the all-powerful being. But the Bible also describes God as our judge, that he is the one who determines our eternal existence, that he is the one who we stand before one day and give an answer to. And I think because of that, the fear of God encompasses all of those things. So Solomon looks at his son. He says, you want to be wise? Here's the first step. Fear God. Be conscious of God. Think about God. Fear God more than you fear others. Respect God and revere God and care more about his opinion than you care about the opinion of another person or even your own opinion. Another way he puts it in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 8, he says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. He says, son, you need to trust God more than you trust yourself. You need to fear God first, and that is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I'll just be honest with you. When I read passages like this that say the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, it makes all the sense in the world to me. And here's, here's why it makes so much sense to me. What we've been saying is that wisdom, the essence of wisdom, is the now me looking out for the later me, right? If that's the case, what it means, it means that wisdom is really starting with the end in mind, right? It's looking towards the end and making decisions backwards. That's what wisdom is. And so when the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, the beginning of wisdom is understanding God, it makes so much sense to me. And here's why, right? Because if, if, if we believe that this world is all there is, that this life is all there is, that there's nothing beyond it, then that means that we're going to make decisions in a very short-sighted way. But the Bible says that, no, this is not all there is. There is more to come. There's an eternity at hand, that God is the end of all things and the meaning of all things. Then that means that we have to start with the end in mind. If true wisdom is going to happen, then we have to start with the end and work our way backwards. And I think for some of us, uh, when we make decisions, we make them very, in a very short-sighted way. Think about it like this. When I was, um, I remember when I, when I went to kindergarten. I actually don't remember my first day of kindergarten. My mom tells me about it. And she always tells me, um, when I went to kindergarten, I guess for the first couple of weeks before I went, I didn't go to preschool or anything. Um, so for the first couple of weeks before I went to kindergarten, my mom said that I was real nervous about going. And I would ask her about it every day. Well, finally I went, right? And so I had my new book pack, I had my new backpack, all that kind of stuff. Went to kindergarten. And my mom tells me, I don't remember this conversation, but she tells me about this conversation we had. When I got home from my first day of kindergarten, I guess she sat down and she asked me how it went. And she said, I answered her, and I answered her kind of in this real cocky, like, I totally got this kind of way. And I guess I was like, it was awesome. You know, it was no big deal. I kind of totally ruled it. And, uh, and she's like, how'd it go? I was like, it was fine, no big deal. You know, I totally got this school thing. And then she said that she proceeded to ask me a question that blew my little kindergarten brain mind. She asked me this question. She just said, oh, so, so you liked it? I said, yeah. And she said, so you're ready to go back tomorrow? And she said, my eyes just got real big. And my jaw just dropped, and I just said, I have to go back tomorrow? And here, I guess as a kindergartner, I never thought about the fact that kindergarten was more than one day. I thought, let's do one day, and then you're done, and that's the end of school, right? Well, I didn't know it was going to last a whole year, and then let alone, you know, school is pretty much the rest of your life after that. And I just wasn't prepared for that, you know? Listen, I think for some of us, when we, when we talk about thinking with the end in mind, we think about this life, and for some of us, we think this life is all there is. And so we make decisions based off of that end in mind. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. There's more than one day in kindergarten. In fact, the Bible says that this life that we experience is a vapor, that it's short, that we're here for a moment, that compared to our eternal existence that's, that, that, that's before us, that the time that we have on this earth is fleeting and it's short. 
And listen, I think for some of us, the Bible distinguishes between two different types of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom, a worldly wisdom, and there's a heavenly wisdom or a godly wisdom. And here's the difference. Worldly wisdom makes decisions based on the, kind of on the premise that this life is all there is. So it makes all the sense in the world in worldly wisdom to say, well, I'm going to save up everything that I can now. I'm going to build up a real nice nest egg for myself. And I'm going to retire early. And then I'm just going to enjoy and spend the rest of my life and the rest of my money on myself. Now, that makes a lot of sense if this earth is all there is. That's earthly wisdom. That's me now looking out for me later. But the Bible says you're not considering the long-term me, the eternal me, that there is a later, 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 later version of me. And that one lasts forever. And so the Bible says the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. It's living with eternity in view. It's making decisions, understanding that God is the end of all things. It's living in view of understanding that God is the one who determines my eternal existence, that God is my judge. It's living with the reality, the Bible says, that I can invest this life today to make a difference in, the, in my quality of eternal life later. That's true wisdom, according to Solomon. And so Solomon looks at his son. He says, son, the greatest thing I have for you, the thing I want for you more than anything, I want you to be wise. I want you to have wisdom. I want you to exercise life in such a way that you can distinguish between the voices of folly and wisdom, that you can follow wisdom and enjoy the rewards that come with it. He says, but if you want to obtain true wisdom, the only way that you get that is by first and foremost fearing God, respecting God, being conscious of God, living with eternity in view. And if you can live in that way, then you'll have true wisdom. And so the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark on this, dads. It says the best thing we can do is that, as fathers is important to our children true wisdom, genuine wisdom, to teach our kids to love God, to teach our kids to fear God, to teach our kids to live with eternity in view, and to help them navigate life in such a way that the now me makes decisions with the later me in mind. And the Bible says that this really is, according to the book of Proverbs, the heart of fathering. That we are to raise up our kids and we're to send them out as the next generation. And the Bible says that if we can have good dads that invest in this way, we can change an entire generation. We can change a culture. So guys, our responsibility is heavy that God has placed on us. But he's given us a ton of help in the Bible. So there's a lot of practical things that we can do with this in closing, right? I think one practical thing for those of us who are fathers in this room and really for everyone for that matter, because God is our heavenly father, and I think as a heavenly father, he would tell us one of the greatest things that would give him the most joy is if we exercise wisdom as well. But for those of us who are dads, I think the first question we need to ask is simply this. Not are we teaching this, not are we instructing this to our kids, but first and foremost, are we modeling this? Right? We're talking about wisdom. Are you living with wisdom? Are you pursuing wisdom? Are you going after it? Are you making decisions now that are considerate of the future version of you and the future family that you're with, starting in that position. You know, for some of you, you might be in a position right now where you're investigating Jesus. You might not be sure what you think about God. You might be looking into all that. Well, let me just say, according to Solomon, the wisest man on earth, he tells us that the beginning place of wisdom is actually rooted in an understanding of God. It's rooted in a fear of God. And so get that first, Solomon says, and you'll have wisdom. So for some of us, some of us dads, we need to start by first looking in the mirror, and we need to say, okay, I need to model for my kids what it looks like to live out true and genuine wisdom. 
one of the greatest ways you can do that, I think, is, is you know, I know some people that do this. They literally go through a proverb a day in the Bible. Uh, awesome. The book of Proverbs is 31 chapters, which is so great because that means, you know, there's typically 31 days in a month. That means that every day of the month you can read a different proverb. So it's June 15th. Maybe start today. Read Proverbs 15. Tomorrow, June 16th, read Proverbs 16 and on and on. Fantastic way to get acquainted with the teaching of wisdom. I think another really good application for us who are dads especially, this is a challenge that I want to give to you, all right? And I know dads like challenges, and so in fact, let's compete about it, because I'm sure that I'm going to do it better than you are. <laughs> Bring it. And uh, no, but I, I would really like, I would really challenge you to do this, and I would love to hear how you're doing it so we can learn from each other. But listen, I think we as dads, we need to have a plan. We need to have a plan. We, we can't just come into fathering with this naivety and this aimlessness of, I don't know what I'm doing, which is the way I feel most of the time, honestly, as a father. We need to have a plan to say, how are we going to take wisdom? How are we going to help nurture our children to understand it? There's a few ideas. Maybe here's an idea. Maybe take your kids through the book of Proverbs. Some of you are like, well, my kids are older now, and I totally missed my opportunity. It's never too late. Maybe do it now, even if you have adult children. Maybe start going through the book of Proverbs now. If you have little kids, here, here's a suggestion for you. What if you identified key verses in the book of Proverbs that were guiding lights, principles in life that you wanted to instill in your kids? What if you memorized them together? One of the things that I do with my kids right now, um, and I just, this isn't because I'm smart or anything, it's just because I know my kids like candy. Um, I, will, I will have them memorize verses, and if they can recite the verse, I give them a piece of candy. And it's like, the, the way I think about it is, um, the candy's going to go away, but the verse is going to stay in their heart. So I'm totally cool with that. And my kids can come up to me just about any time. They, just, they have to wait a little bit. They can't just like go over and over and over. But they can come up to me any time during the day and say, Dad, can I say my verse for candy? And I'll be like, yep. I don't even have any candy, but we'll get some. You know, it's just whatever. Because I'm like, if I can get that, if I can get God's word in their heart, and I can help them, if I can instill these principles inside of them, my hope is that even though I mess up a lot, that they'll see the, the heart of their loving God. It'll help guide and protect them. But listen, I, I don't know how you do it. You're, you're creative. Apply your creativity and make a plan. How can you invest in your kids in such a way that you can guide them to wisdom, to make wise decisions where the now me is thinking of the later me, where the, where the today me is thinking of the eternal me, to come up with those things. All right? So if you're a dad, we love you. We appreciate you. We hope that you get to go out today, eat a lot of food. And so we're going to do this. I'll pray for you. Pray that God would help us. And then the band will come up. They'll close us out. And then you can go spend some time with your family. Jesus, we just want to say thank you for your word to us this morning. You know, I, I love, God, that you're depicted as a father to us because um, it really helps us understand what it means to be a, a, a loving dad when we can understand your heart. And God, just like in the book of Proverbs, Solomon is saying to his son, son, the thing I want for you the most is I want you to be wise. I want you to obtain wisdom and be guided by it. God, I, I, I hear your voice in that. And I think for all of us, each one of us in this room, that, that what makes your heart happy, God, is when we exercise true wisdom, godly wisdom. When we're able to, um, to, to consider you and fear you and live in light of that and make decisions where the today me can affect the later me, can think about the later me. God, I pray that you would help the fathers in this room today. Jesus, I pray that this would be a church of really great dads. Lord, we know the statistics of the spiritual disengagement of fathers today. Honestly, the landscape is bleak. And, um, and so God, having fathers in this room today gives me hope. 
it gives me hope that these men would be here today. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would empower them by your spirit. Give them grace. We need it. God, do we need it? We need your grace. We're so imperfect. We fail in so many ways. But Jesus, you promised us your presence. And so I pray that you would help us as dads. Help us to make a plan. I pray we wouldn't, we wouldn't be passive fathers who just kind of meander around aimlessly, not knowing how to engage with our children. Help us to be active, engaged dads who are constantly looking for opportunities to help our kids, to guide them towards a place of wisdom. Father, I, I thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that you would continue to enrich us and strengthen us by your spirit. Help us to enjoy our family today. But I do want to pray specifically for those who have lost their fathers, who maybe today is a day of mourning. God, I ask you that uh, you would comfort them today and help them to find confidence and trust in you as our heavenly father. So Father, we just want to lift these things up in your name. Thank you for them in Christ.